My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. By now, both the data and the anecdotes have shown us the pandemic took a toll on our collective mental health. That toll manifested itself in all sorts of ways. From a massive increase in online conspiracy theories to public protests to confrontations with staff or an utter loss of faith in institutions, and even to more mundane things like a massive spike in passenger incidents on board airplanes. But nowhere is the strangeness that these times have wrought more evident than in the story of Canada's quote-unquote queen. Romana DiGiulo rose to prominence in 2020, gained a massive number of followers, moved her followers from online talk to in-person action, and, well, just as much strangeness as you can imagine, all of it tinged with the very real threat of violence. On the weekend, uh, a group of people uh, called on others to go and arrest the police, members of the Peterborough Police Department. But in the end, it was some of those protesters who were arrested. Today's story is about what DiGiulo and her followers have been up to as the pandemic has waned and public health measures have eased. It's about how those followers still cling to a woman who has not delivered on any of her pronouncements and has cost many of them their savings, their homes, or their families, and right now has them holed up in an empty school in a tiny prairie town that absolutely does not want them there, refusing to leave, urging more followers to join them. Today's story is about why all this is happening and what this town can do about it. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Peter Smith is an investigative journalist and a researcher with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. This has sort of become part of his beat now, right, Peter? Yes. Yeah, I can't seem to get away from the Queen. Maybe start before we get to the Queen. Just uh, give us a little info about Richmond, Saskatchewan. You know, where is it? How big is it? What kind of community is it? So according to the stats I found, the, the town of Richmond has a population of something about uh, 118 people. So we're not talking about a very large community. It's a very small town. It's an over three-hour drive west from Saskatoon. It's about four hours if you're coming from Calgary. It relies mostly on agriculture and the oil and gas industry, and by all accounts is a very close-knit community that does not frequently become a stop for real or imagined royalty of, of any sort. Right. And now, uh, as I mentioned, this has kind of become your beat. We've spoken about it on, on this show before, but for those folks who maybe weren't listening to that episode, can you give us the Cliffs notes, I guess, on the queen, Romana DiGiulo? Who is she? 
So Tadula was a former resident of British Columbia who, after starting a series of failed businesses that typically got delisted for not filing taxes, she started a political party called the Canada First Party, which was very odd, very small, very fringe, never really drew a lot of attention. And there was no talk of her kind of royal aspirations at that time. It was when, however, that she declared herself the queen and prime minister kind of simultaneously of Canada that several of what could be described as QAnon influencers reshared her videos, declaring herself ruler. And that's where Dedulo's notoriety and popularity really skyrocketed within that space. At the height, I think one of her multiple channels on the app where she typically posts most of her public statements had over 40,000 followers. Since the first influx of people uh, to her cause, she's had these followers handing out cease and desist letters, police stations, pharmacies, restaurants, anything that was enforcing public health measures during the COVID pandemic was eligible for a letter demanding they stop. Mm -hmm. uh, typically, the punishment was promised to be execution or, or imprisonment. So thousands of these letters were delivered where people were essentially telling other people in their community they would be killed by this new appointed government for not complying. There are some pretty kind of funny and absurd videos of these interactions floating around, but it all had this kind of underlying threat. Uh, since then, violence has remained kind of a part of her rhetoric. At one point, she called for what she called duck hunters, which was a term that applied to any follower who owned a firearm. And she asked them to take control of the borders, government offices, the media. That didn't happen, obviously, but people on her channels were posting pictures of their firearms. And if I recall correctly, at least one individual was picked up by police for making threats. Other times, she's encouraged followers to attempt to arrest police officers, which got some of them hurt and, of course, arrested. She was on the scene during this action, uh, I believe it was in Peterborough, but sat in her kind of now famous RV, which has become a traveling caravan of her and her extremely dedicated followers. What does she promise her followers? Why do they buy into this? The question of why is difficult to answer. The promises she's made are, are pretty widespread. You know, there's been promises of medical technology that would, you know, heal the sick instantly. She's told them to stop paying bills, mortgages, saying that, the, you know, the banking institutions are invalid. You know, this has had some very real-world consequences for people. Mac Lamaru from Vice has probably done some of the best reporting, talking about you know, the impact on families, people who've lost their homes. Again, it, it is something that, is absurd kind of from the outside, but when you kind of get into these spaces and you look through the, just the hundreds of thousands of messages, you can see that people who are really desperate for healing, for, you know, relief, and in a lot of cases are being seriously impacted by their belief in this individual. Has literally anything she's promised actually happened? And, and what's, what's happened to those supporters who believed it? Well, as far as promises go um, and predictions, some of her social channels are now posting the weather, and that's about as accurate as anywhere else. But other than that, no. She claims to be in control of the government, yet followers who choose to listen when she says to stop paying bills do face legal and financial consequences. You know, she's created a mythos that has evolved over the years to include her having a combined divinity as well as extraterrestrial uh, origins. Yeah, it's gotten, it continues to get what seems to be more and more bizarre as kind of time goes on. 
You mentioned this now famous RV, which has been all over the country. There's a reason I asked you about uh, Richmond, Saskatchewan, off the top. How did she come to be in, in that place? And how many people are there with her? Like, what's going on? Her MO over the past two years or so has been traveling the country in this RV with what is right now about a dozen followers. They go from town to town, setting up shop, holding various live stream press conferences, in air quotes, generally annoying locals. And there are news stories people will come out to kind of see and, and gawk at it. Near the end of September, in what I think was a very brilliant community action, Dadulo was essentially chased out of another town, not quite as small, called Camsack. Richmond was the planned next stop at that time. And this led them to take up residence in a local schoolhouse that has apparently been abandoned for about a decade, um, but is owned by someone who is allowing them to stay there. I know you can't answer the why question very well, but like, what has she said about the reason for being uh, in this place or by and large from traveling from small town to small town and sort of taking up residency? Like what's what's the stated purpose, even if we don't have a why? I mean, the stated purpose is to to spread kind of her message to to show she is a queen of of the people. She took up in the RV just as the 2022 convoy was happening, in which case they kind of staged their own drive you know, to, to Ottawa, and then we're on the streets with the other truckers. There hasn't, I don't think, been a lot of explanation as to why she needs to, to remain so mobile, but more or less has just been kind of an accepted part of her, of her story. Like she, she travels around, she meets with people, you know, overseeing kind of her dominion. But yeah, there has been no, there's been nothing that I've seen that would lead anyone to believe that she actually possesses any any power, especially as she is kind of, at least in the past, has been taken in for a wellness check, you know, has faced questioning by authorities. You mentioned that she and followers were previously chased out of another small town. Now they're in this small town. How's the town reacted? Like, what typically happens when when they show up? The town, like most places that, that have to do in them, is pretty unequivocally unhappy about this fact. They put a dividing line, which is more or less a wire, around the edge of the, the school property where they've been staying. This dividing line is very close to what is the town's only playground. So there have been a various protests staged as children or residents have also told the media that they feel unsafe with these people in their town. Tractors and vehicles have circled the school, honking. And the group has responded by filming the residents, which is a pretty common tactic of theirs putting up posters on their own side of the schoolhouse, claiming the media has lied about Dadulo. It does seem like they've really dug into the space. Since the protest started, there have also been reports of emails and letters, apparently from Dadulo supporters, that are kind of follow the classic cease and desist kind of pattern or, or format. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.
this sounds like an awful lot for a town of, uh, what did you say, 118 people to handle. What options do they have? Can they force them out? So I'm certainly not a lawyer, but I do think that the town is exhausting the legal measures. Tadula and her followers have the permission of the property owner to be there. If the cease and desist letters do contain, as they have in the past, threats of execution, maybe there is some route there for removal based on the threats. My thoughts are, though, that legal wheels turn slow, and ultimately it seems like pressure by the community is the only thing that's going to work, but has to be sustained to a degree. When you look back to sort of how it started online and was picked up by QAnon influencers and was was very much like a, an internet phenomenon at the time, how did we end up here where it's very much like a not internet phenomenon and they're camped out in these tiny towns? Well, what's weird is from the start, she's been incredibly adept at getting boots on the ground. Even when she was just kind of posting and there wasn't back and forth communication between her followers, she was able to get people kind of en masse out to these businesses, out to police stations sometimes, out to government buildings, distributing letters for her. That, that might not seem like a lot, especially because they're essentially just pieces of paper with kind of fake legal jargon written on them and, of course, threats of execution. But the ability to get so many people to get out there and do that is very unique within the far right, within conspiratorial spaces. She's had people engaged right from the beginning. When the Duck Hunters edict came out and she wanted people to take the borders, that's when she was picked up for the wellness check. And right after that was when she started to do her first live streams, when she started to take questions and actually interact more on a personal basis with her followers. I certainly couldn't have predicted at that time that it would results in a kind of, like I said, a caravan traveling across the country of, of her and a dozen people. The, the reporting done um, by uh, some other journalists on the conditions within that by people who have left describe what I think one quote was nonstop abuse, you know, sleep deprivation, lack of food, you know, her kind of ruling this, this very small kingdom with an iron fist. It is surprising to me how we got here. I don't necessarily know how it ends other than kind of her people abandoning her, which at this point, they are so kind of invested and dug in, you know, even with this pressure from the outside can really cement kind of like an in-group mentality. But yeah, I mean, all of this is kind of my armchair psychological opinion. It is a very complicated issue and has really gone from a conspiracy-based community into what I think would be much better viewed as a cult, at least when we're talking about the people who are traveling and living in this reality kind of 24 hours a day. Well, that's why I think I find it so compelling to discuss because, and, and you, you and I just talked about this before we began recording, you know, you cover hate movements all across Canada, hate groups and, and people who lead them and, you know, some of them who are frankly, probably more dangerous than this group. But, you know, you were saying this is what everyone wants to talk to you about. Why is that, do you think? You know, there's a, a, a lot of these kind of movements growing in this country, but this is the one that everyone seems to come back to. Yeah, it is interesting. I was recently in Europe and had people asking me about the Queen of Canada. I mean, I, I do get it. It's certainly with this story where, you know, it's a very small community, you know, that it very explicitly doesn't want her there. 
um, trying to push her out and, and having incredible trouble doing that. I think that there is kind of a, an absurdity to it that people enjoy, which again, isn't necessarily the healthiest or most productive way to deal with these issues. Um, but it, it does galvanize interest. The fact that she is also, again, not to, not to repeat myself, but the fact she has been just so adept at getting people out there that people were seeing these cease and desist letters in their communities, you know, throughout the pandemic, you know, she has been kind of present for a lot of people. And I think, especially when I was writing some of the first stories and I would speak with people, yeah, somebody always kind of knew somebody who had seen something like it or gotten something similar. There was kind of an ever-presence yeah. to a degree. She was kind of ubiquitous throughout the pandemic conspiracy spaces, even as many cons- like people that I would call conspiracy theorists found her to be ridiculous at the same time. Uh, you know, she came out of the QAnon movement, which was incredibly popular with the public, at least in, again, for kind of the same reasons, this kind of dread fascination. But, you know, just like that movement, you know, I think helped contribute to January 6th in the United States. Uh, no, I don't think we've seen the potential that this type of thing could necessarily go wrong in Canada. I, and hopefully it doesn't. You mentioned you don't know exactly how this ends, which fair enough. But what happens if there's all of a sudden more people in this caravan than there are in Richmond? I mean, that would be absolutely terrifying. The The best case scenario for the village, obviously, is for them to move on. It's not the best case scenario for the next destination. But what I do think, as much as it might be unfair for the people of Richmond to put responsibility on a community that never asked to deal with this issue, protest, disruption, and just kind of making the environment as unwelcoming as possible for these people might be really the only move that they, that they have. I will say that there's not really any indication that I've seen of people moving to join Dulo here in, in Richmond. The RV crew is very tight-knit, very paranoid of outsiders, and made up of some of her closest and most dedicated followers. As I said before, there have been accusations from past members of kind of abuse. She certainly does have other followers all over the country, but I haven't really seen a, a call for reinforcements or anything like that that's being answered in a significant way. But being such a small community, you know, even a few more people, a dozen more people would make a significant difference. And we'll just have to see what happens. Last question. And again, don't know how it ends. But as somebody who, who studies uh, these kind of movements and these kind of leaders and people, is there any way this ends well at this point? If we're talking about the town itself, certainly. Right. The only person who I think has the power to really evict them quickly is the property owner, a man named Ryan Manns who, interestingly enough, they were fundraising to help him pay his back taxes, um, despite Romana saying that taxes aren't something that people necessarily have to pay. Hmm. I don't know. The worst case scenario is that there could be a very significant confrontation between them and the townspeople. I don't know to what degree law enforcement is involved or engaging with this because of the permission they have to stay there. It doesn't seem, you know, other than being very disruptive and unwelcome in the community that they are breaking any laws. So yeah, it is It is a very big question mark and truly it's something that I'm going to be watching closely, but I'm, I'm not sure at all how it ends. Peter, thank you for this. I'm much appreciated and sometime soon we will talk to you about something else. <laughs> Maybe one day. Thanks again. Thank you. Peter Smith. 
from the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. That was The Big Story, a podcast that will never, when a guest is doing an amazing job through the first third of the interview, pull them for another guest. You can find The Big Story anywhere you get your podcasts if you want to talk to us. We love it when you do. You can reach out to us. The email address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca and the phone number to leave us a voicemail is 416-935-5935. If you want to listen to this podcast in a smart speaker, it's very simple. All you have to do is say, why on earth would you pull Jose Barrios in that game? And you'll get it. First try. Joseph Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer. A team led by Sean Cole runs our sound design. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. And I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We've got a little treat in the feed for you over the long weekend. And we'll be back on Tuesday. <laughs>